But more than that, she was also interested in what they'd say and excited by the prospect of conflict. She wasn't exactly a thrill-seeker, but she enjoyed a test, and the more severe, the better. She'd been a rock-climber, she drove fast cars, and always the horses. The horses might someday kill her, she thought. Riding was as dangerous as a knife fight. She took the back stairs down to the kitchen, walked out through the living room to the front entry. Two men waited there, both in leather bomber jackets, blue shirts, and khaki slacks. They'd put on their uniforms for the visit. She knew one of them, Bob Sheenan, who worked behind the parts counter at Canelo's Farm and Garden. He was about fourth or fifth in the local watchman ranks. She knew the other man's face, but not his name. Been out riding? Sheenan asked when she walked into the entry. She didn't answer. No pleasantries for the watchman. What do you want, Bob? Well, now. Sheenan was a big man with a bar brawler's face, pale blue berserker's eyes, one damaged eyelid half-shading his left eye, scar tissue under both of them, a crooked banana nose, large yellow teeth. He smelled of pizza and beer, though it was not yet ten o'clock. You're telling people that the watchman had something to do with your husband. You did, she said flatly. I want to know where he is. If you're not here to tell me, then get out. He jabbed a finger at her and stepped closer. We had nothing to do with your husband. If you keep talking that way, we will take you to court. She squared off to him. Or beat me up? We don't do that. Bullshit. What about that Mexican kid two weeks ago? You broke his cheekbones. He was attempting to escape, the second man said. You're not the police, she snapped. You're supposed to be old Boy Scouts. What were you doing capturing him, huh? Sheenan and the second man looked at each other for a second, confused. Then Sheenan pulled himself back. I don't care about the Mexican. That's got nothing to do with this. She bared her teeth. Is this coming from Goodman? Or is this just some moronic crap you made up on your own? This is not crap, Mesus. His eyes widened and his shoulders tensed as if he were about to strike at her. You are tearing down our good name. I don't know what your husband is up to or where he's gone, but we will find out. In the meantime, you shut your fucking mouth. I'm not going to shut my mouth, she snarled at him. I'll tell you something, Bob. You better be here on Goodman's orders because you're going to need as much backup as you can get. If you came here on your own hook, I'll have your balls by midnight. Now, are you going to get out or do I call the sheriff? Sheenan shuffled a half-step forward, looming, not worried at the threat. The security cameras were on. All of this was on tape. She refused to move back, but slipped her right hand into the pocket of the jean jacket, touched the cold steel of the 380. Something's going on here, Sheenan hissed, jabbing the finger again, but not touching her. We're going to find out what it is. In the meantime... You stick close to the house, missus. We don't want something to happen to you, too. Then he laughed and turned and walked out.
The other man held the door and, before pulling it closed behind him, said, We're watching. She exhaled, walked into the library out of range of the security cameras, took the pistol out of her pocket with a shaking hand, and engaged the safety. Her biggest fear was that they would do something stupid, that they would stage an accident, a mishap, a mystery killing, a disappearance. Even if they were eventually caught, that wouldn't do her any good. She could hear the local news anchor. And then she vanished into the same darkness that took her husband. She'd worked as a reporter for a television station in Richmond and used to write that stuff. That's how she'd do it. She'd been planning to run for two weeks. Sheenan had pulled the trigger. She put the gun back in her pocket, headed for the stairs, and shouted, Sandy? Sandy came out of the kitchen, wiping her hands on a dish towel. Yes. I'm going into town. Did you pick up the dry cleaning? Yes, I did. I've still got them in the kitchen. I'll need the red blouse and the gray slacks. Bring them up and put them on the bed. I'll be in the shower. What about the schnitzel? Will you be back for lunch? I'll get a bite in town. You and Lon and Carl could have sandwiches and leave one for me in the refrigerator. I'll eat it cold this afternoon. Yes, ma'am. She took the pickup into Lexington, driving too fast, enjoying the feel of the back end kicking out in the turns, grabbing the gravel and throwing it. She was moving fast enough that anyone trailing her would be obvious. If anyone was there, she didn't see him. The face across the fence haunted her. Had it been real? Was it imaginary? In town, she stopped at the bank, took out 5000 in cash, returned two books to the library, filled the truck's gas tank, went to the feed store, and picked up four bags of supplement for the horses. At the post office, she turned off the mail and had it forwarded to Washington. The window clerk was a watchman, but he was whistling as he put together the temporary change of address and smiled at her when she said goodbye. With the chores done, she stopped at Pat's tea house for a scone and a cup of tea. Pat was a friend, a fellow horsewoman, and came over to chat, as she always did. How's everything? Delicious, she said. Listen, can I borrow your phone to call Washington? I left my cell at home. Absolutely. Stop in the office when you're done. She made the call, thinking all the time that she was being paranoid. They wouldn't be watching the phones, would they? She was back at Oak Walk at one o'clock, sent Sandy to get Lawn and Carl. When the three were assembled in the kitchen, she told them that she was going to Washington and didn't know when she'd be back. With the controversy about Lincoln and with the watchman visiting this morning, I think I'd better move into town for a while. So you three will be running this place. Deborah Benson will deliver your paychecks on Fridays. If you need to buy anything big, call me. We'll talk, and I'll have Deborah issue a check. I'm going to leave 3000 in cash with Lawn. If you need to buy small stuff, use that and put the receipts in the ball jar on the kitchen counter. I'll leave the keys for the truck and the car with Lawn. They had questions, but they'd done this before. Any idea when you'll be back? Lawn asked. I'll check back every once in a while just to ride, if nothing else. But it could be a while before I'm back full time. Probably not until we find Link, she said. 
When she was satisfied that the farm would be handled, she ate the cold schnitzel sandwich, opened the safe and removed and packed her jewelry, packed a small suitcase with clothes she wanted to take to the city, went to the security room, took the tape out of the security cameras, and put in a new one. She spent another hour on Rochambeau, Rocky, an aging gelding that had always been one of her favorites, then cleaned up, put on her traveling clothes, and wandered around the house at loose ends until four o'clock when she heard the gate buzzer chirp. She looked out the front window down the lawn where the driveway snaked up from the road. Two cars were coming up the hill, a gunmetal gray Mercedes-Benz sedan and a black Lincoln Town car. She went out on the porch when the cars stopped in the driveway circle. A chauffeur got out of the Benz and waited. Another chauffeur got out of the town car and held the back door. A young woman got out, followed by a slightly older man, both carrying briefcases. Madison met them at the top of the porch stairs. Hello, the woman said. I'm Janice Rogers. This is Lane Parks. Johnny said to say hello for him. He will see you tonight. Two cars? she asked. Johnny thought a convoy would be better, Rogers said. If you're really worried, it would make it more complicated for anyone to interfere with us. Good. Let me get my things, she said. The trip into D.C. took a little more than three hours. Her attorney, Johnson Black, was waiting on the porch when the Benz pulled up to the townhouse, alerted by the two junior attorneys in the town car. Black was dressed like his name, in shades of black, under a black raincoat, but with a brilliant jungle bird's necktie. She got out, the chauffeur popped the trunk to get her luggage, and she walked up the sidewalk, and Black kissed her on the cheek and said, Quite an adventure.